Gonna drink your water before we get going? <laughs> I should get the crinkling it, out. I should pour it into a cup or something. Okay, all better now. I was thirsty. What do you want? <laughs> Welcome to I Used to Know. I'm Scott. And I'm Steve. We're your hosts for this adventure into the past. Where we dive into things we used to know when we were kids that are no, no longer true. Hey, Steve. Hey, Scott. Hey, so have you ever traveled around the United States and needed a map? Oh, all the time. Yeah, absolutely. All the time now? Uh, no. Now that you think about it, I'd be in my car, i have my GPS. Don't mm-hmm. need a map. I don't really use maps too much right now. When I was a kid, I used to read maps a lot. When my brother and I would go on a trip with my parents, my brother and I would stare at each other and then be asking my parents nonstop, where are we going? Where are we (laughs) going? And they'd be like, it's a surprise. We're like, where are we going? It's a surprise. We almost there? No. (laughs) Could it be there soon? Yes. Absolutely annoying them. Oh my God. Over and over again with these silly questions. So they had a plan. If we started getting annoying, they would pull over, they would pop the trunk, they'd go in the back and pull out one of those giant Rand McNally map atlases. <laughs> it's gonna I thought you said they're gonna pop up into the trunk and shove you in there. <laughs> I think they <laughs> thought it. <laughs> I suspect they thought about that. But uh, you know, if the police officer ever saw them do yeah, that, they, they could have gotten in trouble. Right, so, so they've got this atlas. What's I, with the atlas? They would toss it into the back seat. My brother and I would have this gigantic atlas, and they'd be like, figure out where we're going, and we'll tell you if it's right or not. Oh, it's like a puzzle. It was. And so we would take out the map, and immediately you had to figure out where are you now, and where are you going, and what direction are you going. Oh, so and, you got to look out the window and, and, and see there was no compass signs. like there are on cars now. You look in the rearview mirror, and it's like, I'm going east, I'm going No. <laughs> You're in a wood-paneled station wagon suburban battle wagon going where you're going and and on top of it if you've driven the interstates of new jersey you know roads that say north aren't really necessarily going north (laughs) they're northish you know they were going north for a while and now they're going east and then they're going west so we would open up the map we'd have to do all that and figure it out and then of course my brother would get super excited and then when i would figure out things about where we're going i'd be like dude we're going to the mall. We're not going anywhere fancy. And he'd be like, <laughs> liar. <laughs> and then he'd be so shocked when we showed up at like Hershey Park. <laughs> but surprised. Yes. Yeah. So that was, that's how I used maps. And that's how I used to know maps, which I think is what we're talking about yeah. today. I used to know that the way to find your way around was with a map, right? It's a good old fashioned in your hand paper map. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's, let's, let me borrow your Wayback Machine. What's mine is yours. Thank you. And we're gonna I'm gonna take you to three thousand years ago. Whoa. Three thousand? Yeah, it's pretty far back, right? Only three thousand? What are you doing? I I okay, look. We let me borrow, use it first and then you can use it. So let's take the Wayback Machine. But I'm gonna set the dial to fourteen thousand five hundred BC. <laughs> That's crazy. Fourteen thousand five hundred. 40,500 BC, BC mm-hmm. is way before anybody even thought of a map, right? Uh, not necessarily. Oh, come on. There's, they, they, there can't be anything around 14,000 BC where cavemen. They were maps, but they weren't terrestrial. What do you mean they were terrestrial? <laughs> they weren't That's terrestrial. a map. 
<laughs> it's like it's like space alien map. Is the space alien? They were they were mapping the area map. of where they're going to drop the pyramids. Is what they were. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, there were they were maps of the stars. Oh, okay. okay. So Terrestrial. back then, right? So the humans of the time they were going. They were living in caves, and and they would car they carved into a cave different dots that represent when you look back and you look at the patterns people realize they were talking about stars so uh, they found these caves in france the again about 14 a little over 14,000 you know years ago well i guess that would be 16,000 years ago <laughs> and they carved in stars like vega and Altar and the Pleiades star cluster. They Altar. Would, I know. So they would they, they actually carved them in to the thing and, and you people today can recognize that this was and this wasn't unusual. They found more of these. They found star maps like this in caves in Spain and Turkey and all over all over places. And those were really I thought it was interesting to think that that truly is the first maps people ever made are these star maps carved On into the, the caves. That's yeah, that's why I wanted to take the Wayback Machine to that point. No, to sixteen thousand yeah. years ago. So feel free to take can it I, over. Can I take it back? Yes. All right. Since we're talking about these, all right, star maps might be a map, but is it really? If you look at a definition of a map, it's okay. A representation, usually on a flat surface of some part of an area. All right. So okay, cave wall is flat. That works. It could be a representation of the celestial sphere or part of it. So. Yeah, the sky and the stars, it's all part of our world. That works. And it could be a diagram or other visual representation that shows the relative positions of the parts of something. So, yeah, at least... Map the, of the body or something. Yeah, okay. All right, so so that's what's going to matter for this podcast. That's what we're calling a map. And the person who makes these maps is called a cartographer. And And you know which cartographer I hate? It's the one that made Rainbow Road. Right. What is that? That's like some kind of like music reference to Rainbow Road. No, no, no. That's the one, you know, it's the one who did the Mario cartographer. <laughs> Stupid Rainbow Road. I'm always falling off. Now he's pushing me back. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> Daddy joke. That's that hardcore dad joke. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> but at least I gave you the Wayback Machine. All right. Thank you. for so, so Now I have control of the Wayback Machine. And I am going to go back uh, to 7,000 BC. Okay. Because okay? yeah, way back then, there's the greatest city in the world. You mean the greatest city in the world? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this city is Mesopotamia. And what's At great. At the time it was. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And they created the Babylonian map of the world. And this is a clay tablet. That shows a circular Babylon at the center, and that's cut in half by the uh, Euphrates River and surrounded all around by the ocean. Well, there are a few regions that are identified around, but there's not a whole lot of detail in this thing. It's just a tablet that says Babylon right in the center. And that was what they wanted to do. They wanted to have a way to picture the world with Babylon as the focal point. Well, you know, these kind of maps would continue. I'm going to take us forward to... How about Egypt? I like Egypt. Absolutely. Let's go to the reign of King Ramses the Fourth. I like Ramses the Fourth. Yes, he's around the twelfth century BC. Much better than the third. And of course, what did the pharaohs of the time want? They wanted to build stuff. Build it all. And you built it with stones so they would last the test of time, like pyramids. And so they 
put together a quarrying expedition. Because what else would you look for than rocks? Mm -hmm. So this quarrying expedition... In the desert. mm -hmm, They ran out, uh, and this is down in the eastern desert uh, in Egypt, and they were looking for these different kind of rocks, and the scribe of the tomb for Ramses... Uh, which I'm going to destroy this oh, name. I can't wait to hear you say this. Amenakate. I'll take it. Amenakate. Yeah. Created a map and it explained where they went and what they found. Not just what they found, but the kind of rocks that they found. And they even had sort of, you know, they would let them know a little bit of relief in there. We call this map today the Turin Papyrus. Okay. It's generally considered to be the oldest surviving topographical and geological map of the ancient world. It's nine mile stretch of the, another name I'm going to ruin here. Do it. Uh, the Wadi Hamamat. Good. Yeah. Wadi Hamamat. And the reason it's famous is because, again, they have a lot of detail. They show you all the different kinds of rocks, which if you're on a quarrying expedition, that's what you want to index really well for the Pharaoh to see that you were working and not just playing. And it, it even had a scale to it. It wasn't a perfect scale. It floats between 150 and 350 feet. But, you know, they actually made an attempt to have a scale, yeah. which is pretty amazing for the time. And you think they're, they're just walking around in the desert and Amon Kente is uh, just trying to write this down on a, on a papyrus. Yep. As they're moving around and still keeping it to this relative scale. That's impressive. Yeah, given the, the time. So... The next time that we would have a map like that, a geological map, isn't going to be until the 18th century sometime in France. And that's 3,000 years after this Turin papyrus map was made. And that's amazing. That's crazy. 3,000 years before so that happens. There's this time gash where they decided, let's build a map about all this geological information, and then let's not do it again <laughs> until we're hanging out in France <laughs> in the 18th century. It's <laughs> amazing. But, but they're still making maps along the way, right? So the next turning point is going to be in ancient Greece, right? Way back in the day, uh, Hecateus. Uh, nice. Thank you, Hecateus. Uh, Hecateus's map describes the Earth as uh, basically as a circular plate, right? I mean, it's encircled by the ocean, and Greece is right there at the center of the world, of course. And this is a very popular Greek view, and it was created somewhat from what uh, what what Homer came up with in his uh, in the, the Homer tales. Mm, donuts. <laughs> you just had to do that, didn't you? Yes. All right. All right. So now, after the uh, after the Greeks, you've got the Romans, right? And a few hundred years later, they draw their own map, and it's got their whole empire on a big long scroll. But what you know about a scroll is that it's just paper with, you know, but it can roll out really, really long. So it can be long, but very, very narrow. And in order to make their empire fit onto the paper, they had to squish it and stretch it. And it really wasn't a realistic representation of what their empire was, but it made the statement that they wanted to make to the world, which was, they're huge. <laughs> Look, the empire, the Roman empire is big. <sighs> dun, dun. <laughs> Take that. In fact, taking it a little farther in the 4th century AD, the Romans made a full-color map of the entire empire, along with several thousand place names and their cities illustrated with sketches of small houses and medallions. Uh, but the map also includes the locations of things you hadn't seen before, like lighthouses, 
bridges, inns, tunnels, and most importantly, the Roman highway system. All the major Roman roads are listed here, and the map even gives the distances between various cities and landmarks. This is the first road map. Well, you know, meanwhile, on the other side of the planet, mm-hmm. China's doing stuff too. They're making maps. They're making, well, they're not just making maps, but they're also inventing stuff. And one of the things they invented, and I'm, I'm going to talk about 300 to 200 BC, and I know that's probably, you know, the Romans, mm-hmm. they straddled the AD, BC thing. So it's in the same time yeah, frame. It's the same time frame. They created a gadget that would forever change the way you would navigate on a map, which is called the compass. All right, although, that's where it came from. Yeah, although they called it the South Governor. Because their compass pointed south. Hmm. If it was uh, invented by the English, it would be the South Governor. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> and they um, they didn't really use it though for maps yet. They wouldn't use it for maps until eight eight fifty, you know, one thousand one thousand fifty A.D. Uh, up until that point, it was just kind of helping them walk straight. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like to keep a bearing. Which way to go? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. But, um, and it was a cool little party trick. Hey, look at this. It spins. But, you know, it wasn't really used a whole lot in the maps uh, to tell where they were going until later. But now let's kind of fast forward a little bit to the second century. We're in AD. Second century AD and Ptolemy with the silent P. Mm-hmm. He's an astronomer. More importantly, he's an astrologer. Like like astrology? Yes. Like <laughs> as in the Astro Twins telling us how we're going to have a day or a good week. <laughs> the relative positions of the planets and the stars to have a special deep significance. Absolutely. applies and to you. It does. And how can you map the position of the stars and the planets and everything to how someone's going to have a good day or a bad day if you can't tell where they are? I mean... There's no way to know where that person is. So you need a map. You need a map that can relate a person's location compared to the celestial bodies. Well, really where they were born, right? Yes. Where you were born and where Venus was at the time or something like that. Exactly. And so he came up with this whole concept that we now call longitude and latitude. He said, hey, let's let's build a big grid system. We'll mark everything on the grid and... Now we'll be able to plot all these positions and they'll relatively make sense to each other. And of course, to the stars. And way back then, the second century. Totally way ahead of his time. I mean, he has probably got the lock on patents for maps for the rest of universal time. <laughs> except. Except Rome then falls and the Dark Ages <sighs> comes tumbling in. And then geography winds up being lost for like a thousand years. And people wind up going back to keeping track of where things are by just storytelling, you know, oral history. And that plunges us into the dark ages. Accuracy is going out the window now. It's the 12th century. People are making a map, but there's not so much emphasis on making it right. Now we're into the Renaissance. Science matters again. Science is important. Money is important. Commerce demands accurate maps. You got ships sailing all around. Trade routes are snaking all over. Marco Polo. <laughs> I have to. I have to get through this. <laughs> and kings become very interested in how big their kingdom is. Right. I mean, the, the the size of their kingdom is 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 important. So Ptolemy's old map and his approach to geography 
they're suddenly rediscovered and new maps are made on them in the Renaissance. So the Dark Ages are over. But still, accuracy is a little bit of a problem. So Christopher Columbus, here's an example, had a map that was based on Ptolemy's map. But it was copied by a map maker who wrote everything down in Arabian miles. Well, Christopher Columbus is Italian, and Arabian miles are longer than Italian miles. So when he's out at sea, for a while he's, he's trying to sail to China, he looks at his map and figures from Italian miles, oh, we must be getting close. And then he looks up and he sees America, but according to his map, he must be halfway to China, Italian miles. So therefore, he thinks he's landing in India, and he starts calling everybody Indians. Uh... But not like North America. Yeah, right? yeah. No, Christopher not, Columbus. Uh, no, not America. Like, yeah, but not like the U.S. territory. Oh no, no. There's no U.S. yet. I mean, well, that's going to yeah, be 1776. But, We're but only in. Uh, he he discovered like the islands in the Caribbean and and South America. He didn't really do the North America scene. You know, his ships weren't even really called the 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 Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria, right? They were. That's part of the poem. Of course they were. Oh, right. You're teasing me. Yeah, no. So, seriously, we learned about Columbus back in the day, and the things we learned weren't exactly all true. I think one could say that I used to know Columbus, so if you're up for it, I'd say let's do a mini, a mini pod about Columbus. Okay? All right, let's do it. You're going to have to convince me, though, because I was taught in second grade. Uh, everything I needed to know about Columbus. <laughs> and nothing has changed nothing, since then. No, it's just nothing a locked <laughs> box in there. Yes, I see the wire hanging from your cell phone. <laughs> all right, so let's go back, though, to what's going on here with Columbus and the maps. We get to the point where the main man who changes it all is now on the scene. The scene is 1569. Gerardus Mercator. Mercator. Math guy. Loves maps. And Matt Guy. He comes up with the thing we know famously, the Mercator projection. That's when you take a map, you take the Earth, and you kind of like flatten it. But it, again, the Earth is a sphere. In fact, it's an oblate spheroid, squatty middle. That's right. And when you try to unroll mm-hmm. it, the top is not as wide as the middle. So you got to do something. So you got to do something about it. So what do you do? You stretch mm-hmm. it. You know, so you stretch it out, the tops and the bottoms, which is the reason why when you look at a map today, generally in the Mercator projection, you look at Alaska, the state of Alaska looks huge. Now, it is huge. Yeah, but it's huger. <laughs> it's even huger up there. Or Canada's massive, and you've got Russia that's just looks absolutely huge. Yeah, that's huge. right. If you look at it on the globe, it's not as big as it, it appears on a Mercator map because of the way it's designed. But, you know, that's the that is how he began to figure out to display the Earth in a map. And by the late 19th century, his concepts and math starts taking over map making and things like triangulation and trigonometry. Oh, Sokotoa. (laughs) They start to suddenly matter in making maps so that we can be more accurate in everything we do. Math is good, everybody. It is. And these accurate maps, basically at this point now, we have the the foundation of map making. Mm -hmm. And we're just improving on the way we're making them. We're improving on the way that 
people are recording what they see and how they make them, where they're located, how they print them. They're just making them better and more accurate. So we're going to just kind of, if you're okay with this, I'm going to jump us, we're going to jump all the way from the, the late 19th century. We're going to go into the 20th century World War II, where some people can argue that our maps mm-hmm. on the ally side really was a big way of winning the it war. It was a big factor, sure. You know, and the factor isn't just the fact that we had made excellent maps, but there's a new thing on the scene, and that is we can really accurately follow the maps. And that's what helped us in World War II. So picture yourself now in approaching World War II, and you're right before World War II, you're a pilot. Mm-hmm. And you're flying a plane, and you're trying to find the airport. And it's cloudy or foggy or something like that, and you're trying to find where it is. You have a map. How good is this map for you? It's useless because it's cloudy and it's dark and it's yucky out. You still need to land the plane or you're going to run out of fuel. So you aim. They created a concept called fly by the beam where the airport would have like a radio wave. They would be aiming the radio wave in the direction the plane should be landing. And then next to the airport on either side, there'd be two additional radio waves. The one coming from the airport would be a solid tone, and the ones next to them would be Morse code, actually. A letter A on one side or an N on the other. Okay, so if you're in the middle... You're going to hear a solid tone if you're in the right place. If you're on the glide path to come in, you are hearing a solid tone on your radio, and you're like, oh my god, I'm finding the airport. I'm going to get there just fine. When you start to drift a little bit to the right, you might hear the A. I don't know if it's A or N, but you're going to hear this Morse code of an A, and you're like, oh, I'm drifting. Let's let's turn. And by knowing if it's an A or an N, you knew which way to go. Oh, that's why the different one. Yeah, exactly. And I suspect an A and an N was picked because the dots are very distinct. Okay. It's like the... um it's like the rumble strips on the uh, exactly. on the road. Except if imagine I, if each one had a different tone. Yeah. Like if, if you were in the middle median and it's it was like, like blah, 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 and the one on the right, then you would know. You would know which way you were, you were going. That's an idea. We should, we should bring that forward to the government. Let them know. I like the rumble strips that play music. Uh, I hear those. Yeah, I have heard those. Yeah, yeah. That's, that is actually <laughs> pretty cool. You got Now, if you go into World War II, this gets extended even further the allies start putting radio beacons all over the attack zones. And so our pilots, as they're flying in, both from the RAF and from the U.S., you know, we didn't have an Air Force, it was the Army, flying in, what they would do is they had a, they would use the radio beacons and they had this thing that was called a black box radio. It was a, an interpretation system, they called it, which was basically using radio navigation. They codenamed this the GI, which stands for GRID. And by using the radio waves, they would have this oscilloscope and they would see the radio waves on there and they would get sine waves. They would line the sine waves up in a certain way that would then give them a number that would give them a coordinate on a map. And by doing all of this constantly, <laughs> they can continually figure out where they are in a map in the middle of a nighttime bombing run. <laughs> They're in the middle of war, and they got to figure out this math problem well, that's with what the they, sine wave. Well, that's why a plane wasn't just a pilot. It was like a pilot, a co-pilot, a navigator, a bomber. <laughs> yeah, you navigators know, trying you to gunners, figure out this you out. Had, I mean, the plane was filled with people. <laughs> He's got his trig tables out. Exactly. And and so they use that technology in order to fly planes in that. bad weather and in the dark. It didn't matter because you can tell from the radio waves. Right. They used it and it was essentially a World War II style GPS. Nice. The first one. But now the war is over. Yay. Right. And it's the great American dream now. Right. People are living in the suburbs. They're driving a car. And on June 29th, 
1956, the interstate highway system was authorized by the Federal High Aid Highway Act, and this is popularly known as the National Interstate and Defense Highways Act of 1956. Now, we're building roads everywhere, and if you want to know where you're going, you're going to need a map. Yes. And if you're traveling with your family across the United States, mm-hmm. across this great land with this, interstate highways. This new system of highways. Absolutely. You need to fill your car up with go-go juice. Go-go juice and gasoline. That stands for gasoline. That's CB mm-hmm. lingo. I learned that. And if you're going to the gas station and you don't know where you're going, why not pick up one of those handy-dandy gas maps? Gas stations. They used to make lots of maps. They did. I They hand them out for free. Yep. Or they would charge, you know, a quarter or whatever. You know, something. But, you know, you have your Texacos, you have your Arcos, you have these gas stations that are just printed out maps showing you, one, where you are and where you want to go, and two, along the way, how you can get all the gas from their stations. Because they want you to go to those stations. Yeah, you know where they are on the map. That's the point, right? You know that you can make it to this spot and get gas. And if you think about it back in the day, you had specialized maps um, because they weren't very you know you would have to unfold them but you know if you want to detail you had the big maps which were like a state and then you'd have a more detailed map which would be like a county and then you could have town maps if you combine all of these maps together in a single majestical book it was then of course the map atlas like i talked about earlier you had this gigantic book filled with maps the rand mcnally which is the one we always got Atlas. It was a beast. It was. You pick it up every other year because they would expire, basically. You, the roads new would change. Roads. Yeah. And you needed to get a new one every other year. And as I'm uh, going through this and talking about the Atlas, it occurred to me a funny, when I was doing my research, a funny thought that never hit me until I did this research. And it was, why is North on the top of all the maps? I mean, you get the gas station map, you look <laughs> at the top, North. Open up the Atlas, top of the map, North. Why is North on the top? Well, simple, because the North Pole is at the top of the planet. Well, if you're, you know, looking at the planet from space, there's no no top. It's a sphere. By definition, there's no top to a sphere. It's an oblate spheroid. Yes, I guess one could argue because of the squattiness, there is a kind of a top and a bottom, but not like the ancient people knew this. So why why is North the top why are you bringing this up it just it just is it's north it's north is up well north is the top because do you know it was only in the last few hundred years that we actually put north on the top it's only been 100 years since then no a few hundred few hundred few hundred years in fact i can tell you exactly when it was tell me exactly 1569 that's pretty exact well it's the mercator projection when mercator came out he pretty much defined a new order for maps and that was north is the top and everybody and everybody followed it because hey it was math it was science it was the way to do this okay okay so everybody started following it till that time maps were not always north on the top in fact been south sure most maps were south who wants to have a map that points up to darkness Right. I mean, the sun mm. is traveling between the you know Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn. South, for most of the people, were that were doing these things were the the where the sun was, where the warmth was, where the beauty was mm. of where you wanted to go. Why would you put that on the bottom? You. Why would you put darkness on the top? 
put the south on the top. And this was a very common practice. Or the east was also another one because the sun would rise and you would never put west on the top where the sun would disappear. That's, that's just silly. That's depressing. Yeah. So you're going to pick the warmer, right. sunnier spots or you're going to pick the, the east. start of the day. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, in Islam, uh, they had uh, southern-facing ones because most of the people that were at the time making the maps mm-hmm. and keep in mind this is all relative to the people making the maps all right okay all right so the people that are making the maps they lived north of mecca and so the one that so pointed south they wanted so they made their maps point south so that mecca would always be on top they, towards mecca yes. it would be pointed towards the top towards mecca uh the same thing happened to many different kings and stuff they would make it so that whatever you were going to do there and that's why they want to be on top they want to be on top and that's why even though the Chinese ma- uh, compass, with the southern compass, they're south, pointing south. Yeah, their maps yeah. were actually pointed north south. on top. North on top. North on top. Of course, because why would anything? Because the emperor lived in the north. Oh, and so he has to be on so top. He was on top, and so all of his people forget the would compass. Look up. This to is the where emperor. I live. Exactly. It was oh. all relative on that. <laughs> exactly. So I just thought that was a kind of a, a funny, yeah. you know, thing. North is supposed to be north, but only for the last couple hundred years. Exactly. So now that we know north is on the top and we've got all these maps and we've gone past World War II and we're traveling all around, you know, we get to 1978 and that's when it begins to stop being the way it was. Maps are no longer, they're beginning their decline in 1978. 1978. Very, very specific date, in my mind, is February 22nd, 1978, is the beginning of the downturn of the way we used to do maps. What happened then? What was going on at that point? 1978 is, uh, you're asking people on your CB radio for directions. You're uh, hitchhiking, trying to get some directions. Uh, I don't get it. And the 50th space wing of the United States Air Force launches Navistar 1, which is the very um, first it's the GPS satellite. satellite. Yes. To be followed with several others, probably Navistar 2 and 3 and 4. But <laughs> because we're very creative at naming yeah. these. So they began to build their GPS infrastructure, mm-hmm. which we won't get into how GPSs work, but it's all based on Einstein, actually. And the GPS satellites, the, the military needs it, because you know they want to use it for directing their weapons and their armed forces accuracy very is important precise ways i mean heck they don't even use a 12-hour clock right they use a 24-hour clock so no one can make a mistake <laughs> that's a good point so they don't certainly don't want to explain and then bomb the range that's left of the red barn mm-hmm. i mean they want to say exactly coordinates exactly they want to know the longitude and latitude in perfect perfection and in the early 1960s, there was something called the transit system, which gave a little bit of GPS stuff. But then again, in 78, they put up this GPS system. So in the 80s, no, hey, there's people who figured out how to read these radio waves. They're trying to yeah, use... they're just floating around in the, in the exactly. air. Exactly. They're going to try to use it to triangulate what they're doing. There's some public use of this. So the military catches on and they're like, I don't think so. This could be used for bad purposes. Uh, nefarious purposes. So what we're going to do is we're going to scramble our messages so that you can never oh. really use them to get very precise information. So you, they're out there, but you you'll can't. get an idea, but mm. you're not going to know everything you need to know in order to get a like say a twenty by twenty distance of where you are. Because you need the descrambling code or whatever. Right, and only the military can do that. And and that's the way it was until two thousand. In the year two thousand, 
President Bill Clinton signed a bill, and it ordered the military to cease scrambling the satellite signals to be used by civilians. And, and at that very moment when they did it, you know, lots of equipment instantly got an upgrade of accuracy by a factor of 10. Dumb. That's, that's a big jump. And that's what unleashed the world of GPS. Yeah, that's right, because it's 2000. That's when they started to come into your Best Buys or your, uh, what do they have Circuit back then? City. That's Circuit where I got mine. City. Yeah. Your, you uh, probably still get it on Amazon too back then. Yeah, your Crazy Eddies. Were there Crazy Eddies then? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, they might have been gone by then. He might have, might have already been <laughs> on the in land. jail or something. Yeah, right. That was the story. Oh, uh, yeah. But, I remember yeah, that they, they, they started showing up on shelves then. So, do you remember what was your first GPS? What did you get? I got a Garmin. You got a Garmin. It, I mean, it was good. between a Garmin or a Tom Tom. Yeah, that's usually the choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I went with a Garmin. I think the screen was bigger. Okay. And, and they had this promise of you'll get traffic information from some mysterious radio wave that was supposed to be around. That I never quite understood, and it never actually did anything. It didn't really work? No. <laughs> no. You always not. go with the device with the mysterious radio wave. <laughs> exactly. Just a, just a matter of fact. Yeah. So, you know, they began to take over the world, the, the, the different GPSs. I mean, and the thing about the GPS isn't that it necessarily got rid of maps. It just made you use them differently. And some of the skills that you had in maps, you don't need anymore, such as you don't need to find yourself on the map. It does it for you. It already tells you where you are. Yeah, and you don't have to figure out what's the best way to do something because it'll figure that out for you too. And you don't have to know which way you're facing because it already knows and it tells you. And if you're not facing the right direction, it tells you to turn. Exactly. Like, I mean, if you remember, do you remember back when we were growing up, when you had your map, you would sometimes go to like, you know, your, you'd go to some sort of like little box store, you know, like a, I don't think a Macy's, but something smaller. And then you would buy, I remember for Father's Day getting my dad, one of those compasses, the little round sphere that you would glue oh, yeah. to the dashboard. It's kind of like suction cup Yeah, right so there. as you're driving around, the compass would show you where it was. And yeah. then of course, as you things got more modern the compass was built into the car yeah it was digitized maybe on your rear view mirror yeah, an led exact display and now who cares because you <laughs> you got a gps it's always there right. and some cars have a gps built into them now that's right and you don't even need to keep you don't have to keep track of anything the gps tells you what to do in the car and you have your you have your gps on your phone you don't even have to be driving anywhere you can say i want to go to this restaurant your phone tells you where to walk you don't even have to look up. You just you follow don't even the need line. to know the address anymore. You don't. You just you, you can just say, be like, I want to go to this restaurant right now, where I am right now. I have no idea where I am. Yep. I have no idea where I want to go. I don't even know the address of what I want to do. I might not even know the food I want, but I want you to get me there. And the GPS is like, sure, yeah. you got it. I got yeah. you. I got yeah. you back. So you just just trust trust in that. <laughs> so that's exactly it. And also, if when you want to go to one of these restaurants or one of these stores, you type that into Google, Bing, whatever it is, and boom, you get a map right away as part of this information packet. You get the right, you get the phone number, the website, the hours, all this stuff. But then on the side, usually it's this big giant map and it's a lot of screen space is dedicated to that. So in a way, we wind up interfacing with a map much more frequently today than we ever did growing up than we did in the past. Uh, maps are becoming ubiquitous part of our lives. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag, right? We don't have the paper maps anymore, but we almost have something better. But I'm still nostalgic about those old paper maps. I'm not. 
You're not. Not you're, at all. You're, no. You're team GPS. I'm, I'm, I would be, you know, the only time I want to hold on to one is in case of a zombie apocalypse. Because then, you know, there'll be nothing to recharge. <laughs> you won't have electricity. I mean, the satellites will probably still work because they're out in space. They don't care. But <laughs> Yeah, but you're going to have to have a way to read it, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. So but, your cell phone's not going to work, so yeah. you're not going to have anything going but on there. I mean, but, I mean, I use Waze these days on my smartphone, right? So you've mm-hmm. got Waze, and it tells you, you know, where you're going, if there's traffic. If somebody thinks there's traffic, they radio it in. If there's a detour, I mean, where the police are. You can get all sorts of information on this device that I could never have had just on a stationary map. And it's updated instantly to the point where I'm driving somewhere, I see a road is closed because there's a parade, I go to Waze, I'm like, this road is gonna be closed for a parade. I even get to tell them it's for a special event. They guess it's gonna be three hours. They detour everybody around it automatically. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, until the zombie apocalypse and it yeah. doesn't work, or until like a big solar flare hits and then all of a sudden everything goes crazy electromagnetic wise. Which it has done in the past. Yeah. I mean, just as recent as uh, last year, which would be 2017. Yep, because we're recording in 18. Yes. Uh, September 6, 2017, there was a big solar flare that, that happened. It was actually called an X class flare which apparently is the strongest type of solar flare as measured by NASA. Oh, I thought it was something to do with the Marvel Universe. <laughs> yeah, or it's a new Mercedes-Benz. One of the two. <laughs> so, would you? But it's a solar flare. But it's a solar flare. And the, it, again, one of the most powerful ones you can have. There's been, um, but it wasn't as powerful as the one that happened in 2005. The thing about the sun, one, it's really far away. And when it makes a flare, what are the odds it's actually going to aim right at the Earth? In this particular case, it did. So it aimed at the Earth. The flare's magnetic, you know, attack basically came over to Earth and it hit the Earth and affected people not at all, right? Because we've got an atmosphere. We've got an ionosphere. Yeah, it'll protect us. Yeah, it's like our shielding, you know, and, you know, just makes really good northern and southern lights. Yeah, you get an aurora. Yeah. But the satellites, they're out there. They're beyond the atmosphere. They're on their own. Mm-hmm. And this stuff messes with them. They got zapped. And, yep. So for a whole hour on the light side of the Earth, the GPS satellites were useless. Useless. So you got planes in the air. You've got military aircraft. You've got people with normal GPSs. And you're like, I have no idea where I am. <laughs> for one hour. One hour. And if you're a military plane, one hour is a long distance. <laughs> that's true. You can go around the world. <laughs> so that's a big problem. You uh, know? Anyway. Yep. So Steve, do you... Do you have anything else on this? I'm, I'm doing my research. I don't really have much else. Uh, now, the only thing that I came across is just, just more yeah, fun for me to laugh a little bit at some of these stories about people who follow their GPS into crazy situations. There was a guy who had a GPS and he said turn and he turned and he was on a railroad track. And you think you'd stop. But no, he didn't stop. He just took the driving. It's a shortcut. <laughs> so you know? GPS tells him to do it. There's another. It's great for a suspension. There was one story about a woman who had a, a GPS told her to turn and it was into a cornfield. She thinks, well, there must be a road in the cornfield. <laughs> so she goes into the cornfield. There's no road. There's just corn. Mm-hmm. So she keeps driving through the corn. And she's like, I got to get back to the road. So the thing tells her to keep going straight. She keeps going straight. She comes out of the other side of the cornfield into a golf course and dumps her secure car into a sand trap. And now she can't go anywhere. And then the little gopher comes up and does a dance. (laughs) I'm all right. And then explosions start going off all over the place. Uh, But uh, uh, Caddyshack, good one. Uh, There's crazy stuff that people have done. They've they've driven into the 
into the ocean. They've driven off of piers. And you would think the ocean would be one you'd avoid. You'd, you'd see it, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's out there. It doesn't sneak up on you. No. No, but... <laughs> Big body water. You trust the GPS. I guess. Right? So that would never happen with the paper map. No. No. So, yeah, that's all I got. Okay. Well, uh, you know, as always, I think we want to thank everyone for listening to us today. Hey, did you know that we are on iTunes and we're in TuneIn and we're on iHeartRadio and we're on Stitcher and we're on Spotify? Oh, man. So many. Oh, yeah. And wherever you can get your podcast fixed, we're basically everywhere at this point. And if you like what you heard, please give us a rating on iTunes. It really helps people find us uh, and it tells us what you think about how we're doing. If you have any suggestions, another way to tell us how we're doing is go into Facebook. Uh, we're at I Used to Know on Facebook. We're also I Used to Know Pod on Twitter. Hey, tell us what you think. If you have a suggestion, let us know what, what you think would be a good thing that you used to know. But, you know, we love to talk. Strike up a conversation with us. We want to thank the amazing Stevie Jump for our theme song. And threes and eights, talk to you guys all soon. All right. Goodbye, everybody.